All right, I want to start with a little thought experiment. I'd like you to imagine that you are at the end of a long day of work or school, okay? You've, you've been going at it all day. You come home, you're ready to unwind, and then you remember, oh, this is the day that I was going to have dinner with some of those old friends of mine. We were going to reconnect tonight. And so you're like, okay, all right. So you start, you know, getting ready to go back out, and then you get a text. And the text says, sorry, not feeling so great today. I think we need to reschedule. Okay, now I want to ask you this. Raise your hand if you just feel kind of hurt that you just got bailed on for dinner. Okay, a few of you. Now raise your hand if you are filled with an unmistakable delight, that joy, that sweet sensation that you now get to have the night back to yourself. Raise your hand if that's you. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Okay, it's true. The truth is for many of us these days, if we had a choice between being with people or being alone, we would choose the latter, wouldn't we? I mean, in theory, yeah, we all understand in theory, it's important to be with other people. And sure, on paper, it seems like a, a, a good idea to reconnect with friends. You wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have scheduled it if you didn't think that. But what do we really want? We want to be left alone, don't we? <laughs> Now, I know some of you are, are, that's not true of you at all, right? You are, you are extroverted people people, and you hate, you hate being by yourself. But when we look at the national trends and look at the actual statistics, it's pretty clear what's going on. It's really clear. In, in 2021, the average American spent only two hours and 45 minutes per week with close friends. Two hours and 45 minutes, that's it. And that's average. A lot of people are spending less time than that. If you look at, at this chart, which I, the screen grab that I, I got earlier uh, this week, uh, it shows that Americans over age 15 have been spending more and more time alone over year, year over year for decades. That's what that orange line is, how much time they spend alone. And, and obviously you can see when 2020 happened, there was a huge spike in that for obvious reasons because of COVID. But you can see that that trend that actually started well before that. Way back in the 2010s is when this all started to, to take off. Now, what happened in the 2010s? Well, that's when smartphones and social media were becoming more and more commonplace. We are more alone than we've ever been. And our technology is a big reason why. Well, welcome to the final week in this sermon series, Virtual Reality. It's been good. I've really enjoyed this series. I, I hope you have too. If you haven't been here for all the weeks, basically we've been exploring biblical principles for how we as Christ followers can and should navigate this digital technological revolution that we're all living through. How do we do it? The core principle or idea that has kind of guided this whole series is this— you are on a mission. You are on a mission. See, as, as followers of, of Jesus, we don't have the option to just withdraw uh, from, from our world, disconnect from technology completely, because God has called us to move into our broken world, and that includes our digital world as a source of healing and love. We're on a mission. It's what we're here to do. But as we go, as we go into the world, we have to be wise. We have to be wise and we have to be set apart, different from everyone else. And that's where the other four principles of this series come in. Like 
Garbage in, garbage out. Remember that one? Garbage in, garbage out. We've got to think very carefully about the content that we're consuming because it changes us and, and, and it affects who we are in this world. Or, or Sabbath breaks chains. Sabbath breaks chains. With so much hyper-addictive technology around us these days, we have to learn how to regularly stop the grind. Stop the grind of our technology and, and remember what it means to be free. Sabbath breaks chains. Or, or last week, the principle was likes don't define you. Likes do not define you. Our digital world is full of tribalism and vanity, and, and we have to learn how to root our identity not in online affirmation, but in who we are in Christ. Well, today we are going to end this series by talking about this technological pull towards isolation and, and individualism and learn how one of the most important things that we can do as people on mission is learn how to be together again. Before we dive in, let's pray. Well, Father, I, I am so grateful for all of the, the things that you've taught us through this series, um, but I have a feeling that this last one is going to be important too. And so as I'm preaching, I, I just pray that I would simply disappear and that your Holy Spirit would remain. And I ask that you would give us all ears to hear what you have to say to us today, especially as it relates to our, our connections or lack thereof with the community around us. Would you guide us? We're listening. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, normally, in, in one of my messages, this would be the part where I would tell you to open up your Bibles. But I'm not going to do that yet. We're going to get there. Before we look at Scripture, I kind of want to raise the stakes a little bit here. I want to raise the stakes because is it really such a big deal that we like to be alone? I mean, I mean, we spend time with other people, right? We have to in school, with our work. We just don't spend as much time with them, right? So is it so, why is it such a big deal? How bad could it be? Well, the short answer is pretty bad. Pretty bad. So let me give you some reasons why. For one thing, I believe, and I think the data would back me up on this, I believe there is a direct connection between our isolation and the ideological and social fracturing of our society. I think they're connected. For example, digital communication, it's amazing what we can do now. It's incredible that we can stay in touch with people. But digital communication is a terrible way to convey nuance. Have you ever gotten in an argument over text? Right? It doesn't work. It never works. You never understand what the other person means. How many rage-filled miscommunications have happened because people are trying to have crucial conversations via Facebook comments? It doesn't work. I spoke last week about tribalism, right? Tribalism, it, it expands so much faster when, when the, the people who are on the other side are not flesh and blood humans right in front of us, but just ridiculous caricatures on, on our phones. Something breaks down. Something breaks down when we're trying to engage with our world from behind a screen, which we're doing more and more of these days as we're spending more and more time alone. Bottom line, the, the collapse of healthy community is made worse by our habits of isolation. And when community collapses, you know what happens? We isolate further. 
right? And when we isolate further, guess what? Community collapses further, and then we isolate further. It's a vicious cycle. I would call it a deadly spiral. And I do mean deadly. I mean deadly. There are dozens and dozens of studies that have linked mental health with with in-person physical community. And here's why. Because physical contact, like actually hugging, shaking hands, being, being physically near other people, it releases a hormone in our brains called oxytocin. Oxytocin literally gets released in our brains when you, when you get a hug. It's a hormone that enhances our sense of trust and attachment with other humans. We are biologically wired to be social. It's how we're wired to be in proximity, to communicate with, to be in community with other human beings. It's just how our bodies work. You know what happens when you don't have oxytocin, when you don't get enough of it? Well, you become irritable. You have heightened anxiety, more fears. You have trouble making new connections with people. You even have a bigger appetite for sugary foods. Did I not just describe America in 2024, right? That's what happens when you have a lack of oxytocin. In short, your mental health is made worse by a lack of physical touch. (laughs) And where do we even begin when it comes to the impact that all this isolation is having on the development of children? Kids and and young adults, they need a rich, diverse, multi-generational community around them for them to develop into whole, healthy adults. And as it turns out, algorithms don't do such a good job of that. Algorithms are not good mentors. Kids need people around them. Back in, in 2010, I read a book which... Honestly, I don't even know that I recommend it because it's very heavy, but it was very impactful for me. It's a book called The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. And the book looks at real-life stories of children who were raised in extreme isolation. For example, in a, in a Soviet orphanage. And, and the way that these kids, when they grew up, they were severely hampered. They had massive developmental and social um, impairments or disabilities because of the isolation in that crucial developmental stage. Okay, and so I read that book and it stuck with me for years. Now today, I I might be tempted to think, okay, well, at least our kids aren't institutionalized like that anymore. That's great. But then I remember the stats. (laughs) I remember the stats that currently eight uh, kids who are between the ages of eight and ten in America are spending upwards of six hours every single day on screens. That number starts at six hours, and as they get older, it only increases. Now, there are undoubtedly incredible benefits to all of our technology, right? I've talked about that a lot. And like I said, we are on a mission to move into it. That's part of our job. We we can't just abandon technology. But guys, that six hours a day that those kids are spending on screens are six hours that these kids are not having their fundamental biological and neurological and social needs met by in-person interactions. The development of our kids is made worse by isolation. There, have I raised the stakes enough? (laughs) This stuff matters. This stuff matters. And one other just sort of angle on all of this that I can't stop thinking about 
I've spent a lot of time traveling and interacting with, with different cultures around the world. It was what I did before I became a pastor. I've spent a lot of time in the developing world where their sense of community is just plain different than ours. I've seen over and over again in sub-Saharan Africa, in India, in Southeast Asia, just how normal it is, how normal it is for humans to live in rich, multi-generational community. We're talking people spending long hours together every day, laughing, singing, eating together, where, where elders routinely take young people aside to teach them, to correct them, where gangs of kids are just running rampant all around town all day long together, where, where nursing mothers and grandmothers come together to share the load of raising newborns. Like, this is just normal. Now, look, I'm not naive, right? And I understand that there are plenty of other shortcomings to these different cultures. Every culture has their own, their own problems. But this rich tapestry of community, this is how humanity has functioned since the beginning for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It's how we operate. As we, as we enter the 21st century, right, uh, you know, year 2000 and all that, Y2K, as we enter the, the 21st century, Americans were already at the, at the extreme bleeding edge of isolation and, and hyper-individualism. And then we all got smartphones. So what do we do? What do we do about this? If, if God is sending us, the church, into this broken digital world on a mission, right? If we are supposed to be a force of healing and change and life, then how do we start to live differently? Well, as I've said many times in this series, technology changes, but human nature doesn't. And so that's why I'm really grateful that we are able to look back at the wisdom of our spiritual ancestors in Scripture and, and get guidance and wisdom for how to approach big questions like this. So one last time in this series, let's turn um, to the Bible and see what our spiritual ancestors had to say. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews, starting in chapter 10, uh, verse 23. It'll be page 1015 in the house Bibles in the seats in front of you if you want to follow along there. And by the way, while you're turning there, let me give you just a little bit of background to this book of, of Hebrews. Because um, it's not necessarily the most familiar to a lot of people. There's a lot of things in there about like the Jewish temple system and it just doesn't resonate. But it's a really good book and it's really important. So a couple things about it. One unique thing about Hebrews is that we really have genuinely no idea who wrote it. There are theories. Maybe it was the Apostle Paul. Maybe it was Apollos or Priscilla. Uh, but we just don't know. We also don't know who it was written to or when it was written. So it's kind of a blank slate. We don't really know the answers to those questions. What we do know, though, is, is that the book is written in very elegant Greek and that the, the way that it's written and composed, it really feels a lot like a sermon. It feels like you're reading someone who, who wrote down a sermon that someone gave. And so a lot of scholars, for that reason, refer to the author of Hebrews simply as the pastor, it's a good way of capturing the heart of this person uh, who wrote this book, the pastor. We can also tell, just a little bit of context, uh, we can tell that, that the church that the, the pastor was speaking to had gotten into a bit of a bad habit. 
they were not meeting together as often as they used to. Meeting for, for meals, for worship, for, for teaching. In other words, they were starting to isolate a little bit. This is just what was happening. Now, we don't know why. We don't know what caused this isolation. Maybe they were discouraged because they lived in an unbelieving world and a lot of people thought they were crazies and they just thought, I can't keep taking this on anymore. Maybe it was outright persecution. Maybe people were actually being uh, hunted down or punished or, or whatever for their belief in Jesus and they just, they were afraid to meet. Or, I wouldn't be surprised, maybe they were just getting a little worn out by church. Worn out by this, this broken world, wondering when are things ever going to get any better? Maybe they were just a little sluggish in their, in their spiritual walk. Perhaps they were just drifting. A little bit of drift. Sounds a little bit familiar, right? That, that it kind of does. The, in this post-COVID world that we're, that we're living in, filled with church hurt and faith deconstruction, yeah, we're, we're adrift too. Well, regardless of the reason, back then at least, the, the things that the pastor has to say about this isolation still ring so true today. So let's take a look at this, all right? Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23. The pastor says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So that's the verse we're going to look at for a second, those verses. Uh, according to the pastor, Christians should hold tightly to this hope. This hope that the day of Christ's return, or, or what, it, what he literally says in, in the Greek is, uh, the day is drawing near. The day. Now, the day in Scripture, this is just shorthand for the day of the Lord. A way of talking about uh, what was going to happen eventually when God comes to renew all of creation, to make all things right, to bring, to bring healing and life once and for all. That's the day. And that's the hope that Christians are meant to hold on to. Um, that's part of what it means to follow Jesus. We know that one day new creation will come. And this day, this day of the Lord, is, what, is a day that Jesus invites his followers to announce, to tell people, hey, this is on the way, and to help, help this new creation come about. Because we are a people on a mission, right? Our mission is to join God in his healing work. We are now people who live and love like Jesus, and we invite others to participate in the inbreaking of this new creation into our reality, which is why the pastor says in verse 24 that we, as Christ followers, should think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, because it's what we're here to do. Right? This is our job. Now, actually, I love this, though. The word for, for motivate here, that's how the NLT translates it, but it's actually a Greek word that's got a lot more uh, intensity. It's, it's, it's the word that might be better translated to provoke. It's actually usually used in a negative sense. It's like to provoke someone to anger. But the author of Hebrews is saying, no, no, provoke one another to love and good deeds. Prod them, right? Poke at them. I think that's kind of interesting. 
Because that, that, uh, that prodding or, or, or poking or whatever is something that we can only do when we're close enough to do the prodding. That's part of what it means. You can't provoke people from a distance, which is why the pastor says in verse 25 that it is so important that the church continues to gather. The pastor says, don't neglect or literally don't abandon meeting together. Here's why. Because that is when we encourage one another. That is when we sharpen and challenge one another. Right? That's, that's where we do the provoking. There's this, this famous quote by the, the theologian John Wesley. I, I love it because it's so true. Uh, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Right? Christianity is a team sport. And if we are a people who are on mission, well, then we need to pursue that mission together. So it's a, it's a, a simple passage. Oh, and I think I forgot something. I did. I did forget something. I want to show you uh, that, that provoking people uh, to love and good deeds. There's this passage a little bit later in Hebrews, and I'm sorry for getting out of order here, but this is important, uh, where, where the, uh, the, the, the pastor gives us examples of what this looks like. Uh, they say, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, right? In other words, people who are in a, in a hard time. For some who have done this have entertained angels without even realizing it. That's cool. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt your pain, their pain, in your own bodies. That's what it means to, to love, to show love and good deeds. And we are supposed to provoke one another to do that. So again, it's a simple passage. There's not a lot to unpack here. I mean, the, the message is pretty clear. But I think that the pastor's call to the church in the ancient world, it holds some pretty, pretty intense relevance today. We've already covered how damaging and dangerous it is for us to be isolated and alone. It's not good for our society. It's not good for our mental health. And it is definitely not good for our children. Our friends, our neighbors, our classmates, our coworkers, they are being chewed up by loneliness in, in our ironically always connected world, right? But if we're honest, they're being chewed up and so are we. So are we. But that is not an option. Being chewed up is not an option because we are on a mission, because we are the ones that God is sending to heal the, the broken place of isolation. It's one of the six broken places. So we can't be falling victim to that thing that we are called to heal. We must learn how to re-engage true in-person community so that we can show our hurting world that there is another way to live. So here's the principle for today. Yes, our technological world is filled with wonders, but we heal face-to-face. -face. We heal face-to-face. -face. For example, if you're concerned about the tribalism of our day, well, I've got news for you. It's not going to get any better if all you're doing is lobbing grenades from behind the barricade. No, Tribalism heals when two Christ followers who don't think the same way 
look each other in the eye, humble themselves, and commit to learn from the Spirit together. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. If your mental health is, is a wreck right now, well, I've got news for you. It isn't going to get better by just watching motivational TikToks alone in your room. I'm sorry. Your mind heals in community. When you are close enough to touch someone, literally close enough to touch someone, when you are close enough to be seen and loved and hugged, when you can see with your own two eyes that you are not walking through the healing journey alone. Encourage one another, the pastor says. How can you be encouraged by someone if you're nowhere to be found? If it breaks your heart that children are being raised isolated and alone, well, guess what? It's not going to get better by blaming the parents or pointing the finger at Coco Melon, right? I'm telling you, our children and our young adults, uh, adults heal when the church steps up and gets into the game and pours into their lives in person, multiple generations, every child with many adults investing in them. We heal face to face. Let us not neglect our meeting together. We started this series with the recognition that we're on a mission in this digital world. We're ending this series with a recognition that true healing happens in community. As followers of Jesus, we're not abandoning technology, we're moving into it. I hope we are innovating with it, right? Let's lead the way. But we must never abandon the very thing that makes us the church, the body of Christ gathered, gathered to learn, gathered to grow, gathered to encounter our God. Remember what Jesus so famously told his disciples. He said, where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Our gatherings, right? The re getting together with other followers of Jesus, whether it's for a meal or a church service or a small group, like, this is not about checking off some spiritual to-do, they're not about getting God points. No, we gather to meet with Christ and to let his spirit transform us into a community that heals the world. So here's the deal. I know there are a lot of reasons why we've drifted towards isolation as a church family. I know that COVID did a number on us. It did a number on church attendance patterns, I'll tell you that much, right? People who used to come once every few weeks are now coming once every month or two. This is just the world that we live in, right? And that's, that's just normal. It's natural that that happened. Or, or another thing, when, when you're wrestling with faith deconstruction and doubt and skepticism, well, it is really hard to come and, and, and be in a worship service if you're kind of wondering what you even believe, if it all feels fake to you. I get that. It's, it's natural that you drift in a situation like that. Our drift towards isolation from the church, it, it's for a lot of legitimate reasons. And I don't blame a single one of us. I get it. But we heal face to face. 
So, with the call of, of Hebrews 10 in our minds, with the voice of the pastor speaking truth even now, here's my invitation to you. Come back. Come back. Come back to your spiritual community, whatever that looks like for you. Uh, for some of you who, who live in the area and worship here, uh, this literally could mean coming back to church on Sunday mornings, right? Every week, not just online, here. That's what it could mean, come back. Now, look, the fact that we have the online stream, it's an incredible tool. It's an incredible gift. I love that you can watch online when you're sick, when you're traveling. It is great that you can stay up to date with the sermon and, and, and hear what music was, was sung the last weekend or whatever. That is awesome. But it is only when you're here that you're face-to-face -face with your brothers and sisters, worshiping God with voices raised together. It's only here when you, when you have those, those chance encounters in the lobby and the conversations with people you haven't seen in a second and, and handshakes and hugs, right, that your body needs. Hey, Grace Church, we've got free coffee and free oxytocin. It's here. It's available for everybody. It's only here. It's only here that you can see with your own eyes and feel in your spirit the body of Christ in all its diversity, living and loving together. Come back. Come back. Make it a priority. For those of you who are already here, you're already here. Maybe you already make it a priority to attend every week. Well, I'm going to encourage you to take the next step. Come back to a deeper investment in this spiritual community. Maybe for you that means just being intentional when you're here on Sunday morning to, to make a connection with someone that you haven't seen before, to, to, I don't know, not just attend but participate. Or, hey, we have two services every Sunday morning. You could attend one of them and serve at the other one. You could volunteer with people. Volunteer. If your heart breaks for the plight of kids and students in our digital world, well, guess what? You could do something about that every single week. Literally, you could actually make a difference. In our student ministries, in, in our disabilities ministry, in Grace Kids, you can speak life into the next generation. You can be one of those, one of those people, those older people who's building in to those who come after. If you're concerned about healing tribalism, well, good news. You can also do something about that here. You could be a part of the, I don't know, the, the hospitality team. You could be an usher. You could create the environment of welcome and, and acceptance that makes everybody understand that they belong here, no matter their tribe. That is something you could do. If you're in a place where you need community to help heal your mind, you could join a small group. You could find people to do life with. You could go to men's life or women's life or mom's life or young adults. If you're, if you're grieving, you could go to grief share and not be alone in it. My point is, come back. Come back to deeper investment in this family with your time. Your faith was never meant to be done in isolation. Look, I know. I know how hard it is to re-engage with people 
after we've gotten very used to being alone, after we've drifted a bit. Our social stamina is a bit low. We get tired fast. But Grace Church, we are on a mission. It is our job to bring the healing love of Jesus into our digital world. If we don't do it, no one will. So why don't we start by healing this community and showing our friends and our neighbors that there is indeed another way to live. Let's pray. Well, Father, I am, I am of two minds about this, because on one hand, this, this call to real community, especially having seen what I've, what I've seen, what's possible around the world, it makes me hopeful. I want this. I want this for us. I want it for me. But I also know how difficult and challenging it is, especially in an isolating, uh, individualistic culture like ours, um, to really become a rich, deep community with one another. And so, God, we're going to need your help. We're going to need your Holy Spirit to guide us, to give us courage, to give us energy, to provoke and prod us just as we are called to provoke and prod one another so that we can make this spiritual family our priority, not for our own sake, but for the sake of your mission in this world. So God, would you guide us? Would you give us very clear next steps, both individually and as a church? We are dependent on you. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray this.